The reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. That's Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Thanks, Michael. Uh, thanks, Michael, for, for reading for us. And good morning and welcome to those of you uh, if you're here with us in the building this morning, good morning as well at home if you're tuning in. Uh, many of you uh, from our church family, Derek and Marlene, I imagine you'll be watching Pam Hinton, uh, the Jacksons, the Mertons, Dave and Becky Moss and, and family, and, and the rest of you. We miss, uh, we miss having you in the building uh, here with us, and we look forward, uh, hopefully before long, to being able to, to gather um, I'm going to pray for us as we come to look at God's Word together. And then after that, those of you who are younger at home might have some of your own activities uh, to be doing now. Let me lead us in a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the way you sustain us uh, over this uh, long year that it's been with many different difficulties and hardships. And as we, we mark that year, and we thank you that you've continued to speak to us. And thank you that we have your word this morning, a, a very precious gift that you've given us. Please help us, whether we're very small or much older, uh, to listen to what you say and help us by your Spirit to draw closer to the Lord Jesus, to trust and love him. Amen. Uh, well, those of you who are younger at home, if you've got other activities uh, uh, to be getting on with, uh, as you look, I think you're still going through the story of Joshua. You get started with that now. And at the end, we'll hopefully gather back together as we, as we come to sing our final hymn of praise. If you're staying with us, uh, do keep hold of a Bible uh, as we look at this part of Matthew's Gospel. Uh, after, after this week, we're going to be having a pause as we head into Easter. We'll have a pause from the Sermon on the Mount. But this morning, we come to the end of a little section. Uh, where Jesus has been, well, he's doing all sorts of things, but he's been correcting some wrong views uh, in his day about God's word in the Old Testament, and he's been showing how he has come as the fulfillment and to fulfill all of God's promises in the whole t Old Testament. If you were with us last week, remember we said it's good to keep getting our bearings at times in the Sermon on the Mount as we go through the details. We saw, didn't we, that Jesus, Jesus has announced God's coming kingdom, and he said the way in is not through hard work or your, your intellect. No, it's a gift. It's a gift that God gives to the poor in spirit, to those 
to those who will humbly come to him. But he said the thing is that those who do come to him that way, they do begin to change even now. It's almost as if the life of that future day begins to break in to their today. And those changes, they're meant to kind of shine out, pointing in a way uh, to the Lord Jesus. And so Jesus calls these people that he's gathered, this church, he, he calls them. Chapter 5, I think verse 14, the light of the world. Good to keep getting our bearings as we, as we look at this sermon. But perhaps a little bit more important than getting our bearings in the sermon is the way that this sermon and Jesus' words in it give us our bearings for life. Let me show you as we, as we come into this passage this morning, four things that Jesus tells us about the world that we live in. Now, here's the first one. He says, look, there, there's a creator. Here, have a look at verse 45, if you've got that in front of you. It, Jesus tells us, look, God causes the sun to rise and the rain to fall. They're his. They belong to him. Not only is there a creator, but he, he rules and orders every, every single detail of life. When the Bible speaks at times of what theologians might call God's omnipotence, and that he's all-powerful, it doesn't just mean that he's the kind of the strongest person in the room, that he's got the most power, but that it's more like this, that in every moment, his complete power is displayed in every detail of creation, down to sunbeams and raindrops. God alone is self-sustaining, and he sustains by his own life and power everything else in creation. There's a creator. Jesus also says, look, if you want to know about the world you live in, know that there's, there's really just two broad groups of people. Verse 45, again, he calls them the, the righteous and the unrighteous. And don't don't misunderstand that. Careful not to misunderstand. The, the righteous are, are not people, in Jesus' mind, who, who set themselves up as the kind of morally superior. You know, as he talks about the righteous here, he, he's talking about the poor in spirit. Those who know when it comes to God, they've, they've really got nothing to offer him. They're spiritually bankrupt. They were, they were going the wrong way, away from God. But they've come to him and found forgiveness, and, and he's begun to to turn their lives round. And they've started, they've, they've begun to want to live now God's right way. They're beginning to hunger and thirst for righteousness, God's way of living. And the unrighteous, well, they're people who've, who've not come to God that way. They may do all sorts of things that in our world we would say are, are nice and good, but they do it without the least interest in God. They're not bothered about Him. They're, they're going away from Him. There's two groups. And that's why Jesus would say there's also two destinations. Jesus holds both of them before us in this sermon. Back in verse 3, there's the offer of, of the kingdom of heaven. And then down in verse 22 of this sermon, there's the warning of hell. Every life, Jesus says, is heading to one or other of those destinations. Your life and my life is heading to, to one or other of those destinations. And finally here, just as we get back into this, uh, there's a purpose for your life. 
when Jesus says that. And I think that, that is quite possibly the aspect of the Christian message that is one of the, the most countercultural for many people today because we live in, in a, a kind of time when questions of identity are becoming increasingly important. Uh, they're becoming increasingly important, but also causing confusion and profound upsets. Questions of sexuality. Questions of gender. Uh, those of you involved in Pathfinders and Grafted as well, you're confronted with this at school all the time. Th those kind of questions as well. How do I make sense of who I'm attracted to? What does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be a man? And as you begin to think about and ask those questions, the, the prevailing view in our society for where you find the answers to them is, well, look into yourself. Who do you feel that you want to be? What do you feel is right? Create your, create your own identity from within. But uncomfortably, Jesus says, no. Jesus says, no, you're, you're not a blank slate to make into whatever you want. Because the world you live in has a creator. You've been created by God, and, and he has a purpose for you. You get a sense of that in verse 48 of this passage that we've just read, where Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's, he's summing up all his, his teachings so far, but that word translated perfect, it carries the idea of, of sound, of mature, of according to design, of, of reaching its goal. That, that's what it means there. there. There's a goal for you. Jesus says, there is a purpose for you, and you'll never find it by just looking into yourself. No, you'll only find it by looking out to God. Uh, he's the creator. You're his creature. Actually, Jesus says, you'll only find it really through being adopted into his family where he becomes your father. In this sermon, Jesus is giving us our bearings for life. This is what he's saying to us. Look, there's a creator. There's two groups of people. There's two destinations. And there's a purpose for your life that you can find. So with that in mind, get your bearings that way. Come back to the last of these in the passage Michael read for us. The last of these particular life experiences Jesus focuses on. We've seen a few different ones over the past few weeks, haven't we? How you handle anger. How you respond to sexual temptation. How you're coping with being truthful and, and responding to, to personal injustices. And remember with these, Jesus is not giving just another list of rules that you've got to follow. Tick them off and you're okay. But they're, they're more, if you like, big life examples that are there to, to show us and teach us big life virtues. They don't show us the, the kind of specific response to, to every situation we'll face, but through them, Jesus is telling us, look, here, here is the changed heart attitude that his people, those who've come to him humbly, who are beginning to be changed by him, will begin to display in all sorts of areas of life. And so here we come to enemies. 
And that's what we're thinking about this morning. Now, I don't know what comes to mind when you think of enemies. Don't think supervillains. If you watch the, the kind of Marvel films, it's not Thanos or Ultron or something like that. It's, it's just those who consistently oppose you, who intend to make life hard, constantly throwing shade. How are people? How are, how are you, those, those who've come to Jesus, how are you, you meant to respond to that? Well, Jesus, verse 43, he flags up for us the prevailing view of the day. You've got it written there, you see it. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, so far, so contemporary, because that might have been the, the kind of prevailing religious view in Jesus' day, but it's also pretty much the view today, isn't it? Social media is full of it. Someone steps out of line, does the wrong thing, you, you shoot them down, cancel them. But Jesus says, no. Now, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. In the Old Testament, uh, there were passages like uh, Leviticus 19 and verse 18. You, you can look it up later and read through that. They certainly did say, love your neighbor as yourself. But there was no general instruction that said, hate your enemy. And what seems to have happened is, as people have begun to look at God's Word and seen the bit about loving your neighbor and thought, well, what do we do with enemies? And they thought, well, the implication must be if you're to love your, your neighbor, then it must be you're meant to hate your enemy. But Jesus says, no. That wasn't the direction of travel that was intended from God. Loving others, even enemies, was always the intended direction of travel. You should have got that as you read through the Old Testament. Naaman, who was a, an army commander for an enemy of God's people, and yet God healed him. Jonah, a prophet amongst God's people, was sent to one of their, the cities of their enemies with a message from God that led to them discovering God's gracious mercy and forgiveness. You should have got this kind of thing from the Old Testament. And by love for enemies... Jesus is not meaning look, just some kind of stoic, noble action that is devoid of any feeling. I'll just do this because I know it's the right thing to do. Now, it won't be less than actions, this kind of love. But I think Jesus is saying it will be more. It's intended to be warm, generous, costly self-sacrifice for another's good even if they would position themselves as your enemy. It is to begin to be concerned for them. And you hear that and you think, look, what kind of crazy talk is that? So here's two things Jesus says. Here's the first one. Think about the way your heavenly Father loves Notice in these verses, the way Jesus presents this, love your enemy, it is not just a command to be obeyed. I mean, when God speaks, I mean, it has to be a command, doesn't it, when God speaks. Everything he says carries the authority of command because, 
Because he's God. His words can never be less than that, but it's always more. And Jesus makes that clear because he says, look, love for enemies is an example to, be, to follow. And actually, it's an identity to be embraced. Do you see that, verse 45? That you may be children of your Father in heaven. And then he says to us, look, if, you, if you're someone who who's come to God, if you, if you want to follow his example, then you can begin even by thinking about the way he uses, the way he uses his omnipotent power in the ordering of the world that we live in. Now, just stop for a minute and, and maybe think about this for yourself. Just think, if you had an enemy, and maybe you can think of someone, You think of an enemy, someone you feel that has been kind of out to get you deliberately just making things difficult for you. They always seem to be coming for you. Maybe they've insulted you. Or they've upset you. Or maybe there's someone who has hurt someone you love. And then suddenly you find you have got some information on them. Maybe it's something they said in an unguarded moment in private, but you know about it. Something they've done and you know about it. You've got the goods on them. Or maybe there's another opportunity that's just come your way. Maybe at work you've been now promoted above them. And you've got authority over them now that gives you some kind of power over them. What might you do? And even if you don't do it, what kind of thoughts creep into your heart about what you could do? And then Jesus says, if you've got that in mind, well, now think about the kinds of things that creep into God's heart. God sees someone who's ignored him. Maybe they've mocked and insulted the son he loves. And Jesus says, as God sees this person, when, when they're out for a walk and he notices them and he parts the clouds and watches as they lift their face and enjoy the warm sunshine, And Jesus says that wasn't an accident of weather or timing. That's how an omnipotent God chose to use his power in that moment to send the warm blessing of sunshine onto the face of someone who's opposed him and been against him. Or you think about the work colleague who who takes every opportunity to mock you for your Christian faith and and just makes things difficult for you just because you're a Christian. And then they're out for a run and they, they get back home and it's a hot day and they're panting and sweating and all of a sudden from nowhere there's a summer shower and they stand there just in the rain enjoying the rainfall as it lands on them and refreshes them. And Jesus says, remember the world you live in. That and a million other blessings didn't happen by chance. They were caused by an all-powerful God who with warm generosity just gave it, threw it out, put it out towards them. Now, don't misunderstand this. That doesn't mean God's indifferent to the way people live. No, we remember the way uh, the world we, we live in. There are two groups. There, there are two destinations. Right and wrong do matter to God. There will be justice. But even with that, what Jesus is reminding us is, is that God extends now what's 
sometimes called, theologians sometimes call it common grace. General, indiscriminate, warm and generous blessings to, to all people, even as they turn away from God, even as they begin to reap now the consequences of, of turning away from God and rejecting Him. His heart still moves. His heart still moves towards them with with good things, with the thought, I guess, of how much more good would I give them if they would only come to me in Jesus? So if you're a Christian and you want to know how to, how to live in a world with enemies, if you want to know what to say when children come home from school and tell you about the mean kids, Jesus says, teach them to think about the world they live in and about the Father who's adopted them. He'll give them an example to follow and an identity to embrace that will have lasting value on into His kingdom. So that's one thing. Think, think about the Father who's adopted you, but here's another thing Jesus says. Look, look, keep checking. Keep checking you are loving like God. You come to verses 46 and 47, um, and I, I think Jesus says, look, it is possible for us to, to sort of fill ourselves, to persuade ourselves that we are, even as a church family, individuals, but as a church family, uh, becoming a really loving community. We'll, we'll be talking in loving ways and acting in loving ways, but Jesus says it, it's, not really, it's not really the changed heart that God's after. There's been a lot of talk in recent years, about algorithms. I know very little about algorithms, but there's been lots of talk about algorithms that some of the big online platforms use, the, the clever maths programs for, for sending things our way over the internet. So you, you probably know this. Every time you know, from Amazon, from, from, from Facebook, from the Gram, and all these other online things, every time you, you buy or read or like something online, the, the algorithm logs it. It registers it, and then it begins to send us more of the same things that we like. You, you can see why they do it. The, the news feeds that come our way that we're already into, or, or the, the things we've been buying, maybe you want more of these things. And over time, every time you go onto the internet, you feel like you're still exploring the whole of the internet, but that's not what's happening. Because the algorithm is just picking up the things you like and feeding those back to you. And you're actually becoming... Well, you're living even in the internet in a smaller and smaller bubble of things and people who just like the same things that you like. And in a sense, you've begun to, to interact with reflections of yourself. And most of the time, we don't really mind that very much because we're actually pretty selfish, aren't we? You and I, we, we kind of like ourselves and just being having that reflected back to us, that's all right. Somebody said, I... I love looking in your eyes because in them I see two little reflections of myself. We can be a bit like that, can't we? Just looking at myself. And Jesus says to us, look, our, our sinful hearts, it's as if we've got an inbuilt algorithm like that. We're, we're happy to love those who love us. And we're happy to, to welcome in those who are already part of our group. But he says, look, verse 46, if you, if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? If you greet only your own people, e even pagans do that. Not the changed life God's after. But no, if you've come humbly to Jesus, 
helper in spirit. God's not just forgiven you and said you're free to go. He's, he's adopted you into his family. And you'll start to notice the way he operates. And what he says is the right way of living. And he'll lead you to take steps in copying that right way. His righteous way. And it, isn't, it really isn't that kind of ugly, moralizing self-righteousness. That's not this kind of righteousness. No, it'll be when confronted with some kind of enemy, thinking, is there a loving response I could show back? What would be a way I could pray for them? Is there an opportunity to greet them and include them? Martin Luther, the reformer, describes once what what those who, who truly follow Christ are like. This is what he said. I think it's going to pop up on the screen now. He, he said this about Christians. They, they grieve more over the sin of their offender than over the loss or offense to themselves. And they do this that they may recall those offenders from their sin rather than avenge the wrongs they themselves have suffered. Do you hear that? You get what he's saying? Here's what Christians are like. Knowing they've been forgiven by God, when someone sins against them, it's not that it doesn't hurt. It's not that they don't feel it. But they understand the world they live in. Two groups of people, two destinations, and they're genuinely concerned, even for an enemy, that they would turn around and come back to God. And even hearing that, you know why that would be a a mark of truly following Christ. Because the Lord Jesus has been there before us. He's the one who prayed for his enemies. Even while they hammered nails through his hands and his feet. And what might we do in response to this? Last week, if you were with us, we, I mentioned the story about Rachel Den Hollander. The horrendous things that she went through, the abuse she suffered, and and their gracious response she even gave to that. This week, it might be worth thinking, not just with the big things, it might even be in the little things. Those of you who are at school still, maybe you're back in the building, you, you think about the people who are consistently mean to you. What, what might a response like this be? It, it might be something as simple as this. You, you still hold the door for them in the corridor even if they don't notice, even as they just walk past or acknowledge. You, you could have just let it go, but you think, no, I, I'll hold the door for them. Uh, they forget their pen in class. Not sure if you can pass things around, probably not, but when we can again, you're, you're the first person to offer a spare to them. Not because they deserve it, just because it'd be a, a loving thing to do. Uh, in our small groups, those of us who meet up week by week, when you mention someone who's been difficult with you, you found really hard, and you say, will you pray with me? Not just that they'll stop, but that God will show me a way to express some of his love towards them in the weeks ahead. And look, as we continue in our groups going through the generosity project, it'd be good for us to check, wouldn't it? that our planned generosity, if we were doing it, is directed outside of ourselves as well, and not just among those we already love and are part of our group.
you know, learn to love like God. And keep checking that you're loving like Him. Let me lead us in a brief prayer. Lord Jesus, uh, your words to us, uh, they are short and straightforward, and yet they unmake us at times. They expose what we're like. We're full of revenge, even in our thinking. If we don't, mercifully at times, we're too cowardly to carry it out, but in our thinking, we're full of it. And you show us a different way, and you promise that you will help us change to be like that. So would you help us to grow in love, in the big things, but also in the little things, and to be a community of people who shine like a light in the world, pointing to others uh, about you. We ask it in your name. Amen.